Well, once again, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Let me mention, too, that uh, this past week, uh, and you'll receive it again this week as well, but uh, you received a, an email. <clears throat> if you missed it, go back and, and find it. Uh, about an Easter devotional that has been designed to be used on each Sunday, each Sunday between now and Easter Sunday. And so we encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity to enhance uh, your Easter experience. Uh, excellent, excellent devotional there. Well, let me ask you, <clears throat> as a uh, consumer, a consumer, uh, when you hear uh, an advertisement for a product, and, and there are words in that ad, whether you're hearing it or, or seeing it, uh, that draw you to that particular product. In fact, they come close to even convincing you to get that product, or it does convince you. Um, have you ever thought about what, what are the particular words that were used in that advertisement that captured your attention to the greatest extent? What particular words? In fact, I was reading an article the other day about the 13 most powerful words in advertising. Anybody want to guess what some of those might be? I can't really hear you, but <laughs> it's all right. Uh, it's like, rah, 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 rah. That's good. Uh, you're right. You're right. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Everybody kind of said it all together, but I'm sure you're right. But um, uh, one of those words, I'm not going to tell you all 13, but is free. The word free, you know, that, that kind of you know, gets our attention a little bit. Uh, the word now, that was probably my biggest surprise. The word now is one of the most powerful 13. Uh, the word proven, it's proven. Uh, the word love, love, one of the most powerful. Um, uh, discover, discover, you know, something nobody else knows, discover. Uh, but the most powerful word in advertising is the word new, the word new. In fact, neuroscientists tell us that our, our brains are actually hardwired to the word new, that when we hear the word new, it activates the reward center in our brain, is, is what it's called. Well, <clears throat> Jesus knew all about neuroscience long before the word neuroscience ever even came along, because he created us that way. And, and God loves new. <laughs> In fact, when you think about statements that Jesus made using the word new, uh, what comes to mind? I, I, I personally, I, the, the most powerful statement that he made using the word new is not even found in the Gospels. It's actually found in the book of Revelation. God, uh, the, the revelation of Jesus to his apostle John, Revelation chapter 21, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, everything new. God loves making new things. As I was uh, studying this passage, or all of Genesis chapter 17 this past week, <clears throat> I was a little slow on the uptake, okay? But it finally dawned on me, I think sometime late Wednesday night, it finally dawned upon me that the, the word, if you had a theme word for this entire chapter, it is the word new. God does all kinds of new things. For instance, beginning with a new revelation of himself. 
chapter 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Now, try just imagine. It had been something like 24 years at this point uh, since God had first called Abram and Sarah out of Ur. And they still remain childless in spite of the promise of a great nation coming from him. We saw it in the previous chapter, chapter 16, <clears throat> that terrible mistake that Abram made in uh, trying to take the whole matter of descendants into his own hands. And he had the, the son with uh, Sarah's uh, handmaid, Hagar, uh, named him Ishmael. And at this point, it's been 13 years since the birth of Ishmael. And so it's been at least, at least that long since we have any recorded conversation, communication between God and Abram, Abram <clears throat> and it may have actually been even longer than that. So, so what God does here is he sort of reintroduces himself to Abram with a name that he had never used before above himself. In fact, this is the first time that it's used in the Bible. The name El Shaddai, God Almighty. I am God Almighty. But what God is doing is giving Abraham a deeper, a much deeper grasp of God's character, a much deeper understanding of who he is. It, it's, a, it's a name that means that God is all-powerful, that God is the infinite God of the impossible, that he can do anything and meet any need. In other words, this is the name of God that Abraham most desperately needs to hear right now. Well, God continues, <clears throat> I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. There's that promise once again. You've probably heard the statement, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it, right? <laughs> I mean, if I called my, uh, my three daughters this afternoon and, and said, hey, girls, uh, pack up your families, get your husband, pack up your families uh, over spring break, I'm going to fly us all first class to Maui where I have reserved the top floor of the Ritz-Carlton for the entire spring break. You know what they'd say to me? <laughs> Oh, come on, Dad. <laughs> Get real. Who are you kidding? <laughs> because they know that I, they know me, they know me well, and know that I, I don't have those kinds of resources. A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. So, what is God doing here? <laughs> he reveals to Abram more of who he is, that his promise is good because of who he is. He is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He has the resources to make it happen. He will make it happen. And in fact, those words, I will, are used, if I counted them right, are used like 12 different times in this one chapter alone. Let me ask you, if, you're, if you find yourself this morning struggling at a point in your life where you're struggling to believe God's promise for you, my prayer today is that you will find these words to be of powerful personal encouragement, that these words of, from God's word will minister to you. Nothing is too hard for him. Let me also ask this. <clears throat> when you read about a conversation or read a conversation like this that takes place in the Old Testament, this conversation between God and Abram. Do you ever find yourself 
in your journey of faith, uh, thinking, man, I wish God would talk to me like that. <laughs> I know I have. Man, I wish God would, you know, have a, you know, such a, a direct, powerful you know, communication with me like that. And then I have to stop and remember something huge, something that I have momentarily forgetting. Because guess what? God is ready to meet with me. He is ready to reveal himself at any time, any time of day. I am the one who drags my feet because God is ready to meet with me and reveal himself in his word. Every time we open up his word, his living word, he is ready to communicate with us, to make himself known. God will reveal himself daily if we would just simply take time to meet with him. If we would take time to meet with him, he's ready. He's there. Second Corinthians chapter three and verse 18 says, but we all with unveiled faces, unhindered faces, looking as in a mirror and the mirror he's speaking of here is the mirror of God's word, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Spending time in his word, what God wants to do when he meets with us is to make us more and more like his son, more and more like Christ, or more like the image of God. So God gives Abram a new revelation of himself. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. But then notice at the end of verse 1, God also gives Abram a new requirement that we've not heard before. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Be blameless. Now, that word kind of scares us off a little bit, doesn't it? Because <laughs> we think, Man, is he saying we have to be absolutely perfect? I mean, like each and every moment of each and every day, we're supposed to be perfect? No, <laughs> that is not what he's saying. The, the underlying concept of the word here is completeness. He's referring to the God, Abraham's relationship with God. He, God is asking for a complete, unqualified surrender to him, a surrender to him. God's asking for what we used to call down south a whole hog commitment. Anybody heard, heard you know what that means? <laughs> Think of it in terms of what's required to make a, an, a breakfast of bacon and eggs. You know, the chicken that gives, provides the eggs is involved. The hog that provides the bacon is committed, all right, is committed. God is asking Abram for unreserved commitment to follow him wholeheartedly. He's, in essence, saying, don't be, like what the book of James would say to us, don't be a double-minded person, a, a person whose loyalty is divided between God and the world, the result of which, James also says, is that that person will be unstable in everything they do. Abraham, verse 3, fell face down. That's a, that's a humble response of worship. Face down. Abraham, Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, he's saying what his role is in this covenant, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Reminds him of that promise. And, and then he gives Abraham what? A new name. Verse 5, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, 
for I have made you a father of many nations. Uh, perhaps in your study of the Bible, you, you realize that in the Bible, uh, names tend to have a much deeper significance and meaning than, than they typically do uh, in, in our culture today. Uh, and many times names w- would be chosen for meaning and for purpose. And, and then when God would change a name, he, he did it for the same reason. When he gave someone a new name, it was always to convey a renewed purpose in that person's life. Abram meant exalted father. Now, that would apply to to any number of fathers, right? Any number of fathers. But Abraham, again, means father of many nations, which purposefully applied to one person, and that was Abraham. So think about this. Every time his name was called, it was to be a reminder to him of God's purpose in his life. You will be called Abraham. You remember when Jesus met Andrew's brother, Simon? Remember that story in the gospel? The gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 42. And he, that is Andrew, brought him, that is Simon, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. This means Jesus looked intently at him. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which, when translated, is Peter. Now, what does Cephas, what did Peter mean? <laughs> the name meant stone or rock. Jesus changed it for a renewed purpose in Peter's life. But then when you, when you read through the Gospels, you think, well, well, Peter was anything but a rock during that period of time. But you keep reading on, the book of Acts, after the resurrection, after Jesus sent his Holy Spirit into this world, Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, becomes what? He becomes the rock. He becomes one of the three major pillars of the church in Jerusalem, the very first church. Here's a question I I know is not real easy to answer, and I don't expect you to holler at an answer right now. Some of you might have one on the tip of your tongue, but that's okay. Give us some thought later on today. If God looked at you, if he looked at you and changed your name according to his purpose for your life, what would it be? If he changed your name to reflect his purpose for you, what would it be? Ever thought about that? What would that name be? So we've seen a new revelation of God, a new requirement, a new name, and now we learn about a new covenant. Maybe more precisely stated, a a newly expanded covenant. Now now listen closely and see if you can hear the difference between what we've read and and heard and studied what God has said to Abraham before and what he says to him now. Verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. What does God do there? 
He expands the covenant to include not just Abraham, but he now expands it to include all of Abraham's descendants. Descendants. He will not only be the God of Abraham, but he will always be, he's saying, the God of his descendants as well. Well, next in verse 9, God really bears down on Abraham here. Verse 9, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep, God already said, as for me, now he says, as for you, Abraham, you must keep my covenant. You must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Now, remember, as the years of childlessness kept piling up for Sarah and, and Abraham, and he, 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 made, you remember the, he made those first two attempts to compromise God's promise. First, in chapter 15, he, he suggested to God that you know, Eli, Eliezer, his, uh, his right-hand man, his right-hand servant, which was the custom in that day, if the patriarch of the family didn't have a child, then he could, he could, the, the, the right-hand servant could be the, then become the heir. He suggested that Eliezer could be his heir, and then after several more years of childlessness. Again, the, the tragedy that we saw in chapter 16 where Abraham chooses again to take things into his own hands and he has a, a, a son with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And so what is God saying now? God is saying, listen, Abraham, read my lips. <laughs> read my lips. As for you, you must keep my covenant. There is going to be no more compromise on your part as to trying to make any more attempts to compromise my promise. You must keep my covenant, period. Well, then God designates a new sign of the covenant, a sign that will help strengthen and establish Abraham's faith, and it's the sign of circumcision. Circumcision being the cutting away of the foreskin of the male organ. Verse 10, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old, you remember Jesus in Luke chapter 1 where Jesus was refers to his circumcision at eight days old. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You see, just as God gave Abraham a name to remind him of his promise, of the promises that he had made, now God gives him a sign, a sign that will literally be carved into his body so that it will always be with him wherever he goes, a permanent physical sign of the whole hog commitment that is to be present in Abraham's heart to keep the covenant. Now, <clears throat> it's very important for us to understand this whole matter of circumcision because 2,000 years later, the brand new church, you can read about it in Acts 15, the brand new church almost split over the issue of circumcision. 
when some influential Jewish Christians started teaching that unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Circumcision was intended to be an outward physical sign to remind the people that that they had a God who loved them and that he was a faithful keeper of his covenant as well as a reflection of their personal heart to keep that covenant. Now, so you entered into that old covenant by that physical act. Yet, even in the Old Testament, we find where just the references where just the physical act alone was not enough. Moses, when he was preparing the hearts of the Israelites before they entered into the promised land, he commanded them to circumcise their hearts, their hearts. Jeremiah preached, chapter 4, verse 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. Circumcision was the sign of the old covenant. So let me ask, what is the sign of the new covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ? Well, it's water baptism and communion. But let's be careful here. You don't enter the new covenant by those physical acts. You enter the new covenant in Christ spiritually. By placing your faith and your trust, you believe and you are saved. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, that true circumcision is the circumcision of the heart that takes place when you are spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit, which takes place the moment that you receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's not something that takes place later on in some ecstatic experience. It takes place the moment you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So water baptism then is a physical sign of the spiritual work that the Holy Spirit has already done in our hearts when we believe in Jesus. A physical sign of the spiritual work of the Spirit. The physical act of baptism does not save you. Make no mistake about that. It does not save you. Again, it is an outward sign, an outward symbol of the inward spiritual circumcision that the Holy Spirit has already done in our hearts. Now, I hope that's all clearer than mud, okay? I really do. Again, it's so very important. Well, as we continue in chapter 17, there's now a new name for Sarai. Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely bless and and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Sarai simply meant my princess. Sarah means princess. In other words, she would not only be the wife of Abraham, but she would be the princess of nations. And notice that God personally blesses her just as he had Abraham. Well, beginning in verse 17, God does yet another new thing, another new thing. Abraham fell face down. Then another act of, of, of humble worship. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? 
And Abraham said to God, if, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. <laughs> isn't this amazing? I mean, he's still struggling at this point, isn't he? He's just finding it so hard to believe. And so one more time, he pushes Ishmael forward to be the, the recipient of God's blessing as the, as the son to be blessed. But what does God say? Verse 19, yes, but your wife Sarah, Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. End of conversation. You know, <clears throat> it, it is really with incredible mercy and grace right here that God restores, it, it continues this process of restoring Abraham's heart. I mean, think about the amazing new, brand, a brand new assurance that God gives to him. Did you catch what was different this time? Instead of God just telling him that he's going to do it, what did he do? He actually gives a timeline for when it is going to take place. What did he say? By this time next year. Abram had never heard that before. I mean, think about it in terms of this pandemic. Let's pretend that there actually is someone in the country who is truly the expert on this whole terrible virus. He's truly the expert, or she, is the, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and they come out and they say, folks, <clears throat> come on, they say, folks, I, I have this really good news for you. This thing will come to an end. That's all for now. Just hang in there. <laughs> well, you're left thinking, well, I'm glad there's going to be an end to this thing. It is good to hear that. But how much longer? Is it going to be six months? Is it going to be a year? Is it going to be two years? How much longer do we have to hang in there? I mean, how much more assuring would it be if that same person stepped out and said, folks, just six more months and this thing will be done. You just have to distance and wear a mask for six more months and then everything will be completely back to normal. I mean, how much better is that? While listening to God once again making these promises. Don't you know it would have been very easy for Abraham to think to himself at this point, oh, Lord, it's been 24 years already and still no child. So are you saying, I mean, is it going to be another 24 years before this happens? I mean, thank you that it's going to happen, but, but how much longer? So with this kind of amazing grace of assurance, I mean, it had to restore Abraham's heart. And isn't that one of the new things? One of the new things that God also does for us too? With his mercies that are new to us every morning, God restores our hearts, does he not? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. 
The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Jesus Christ, he restores us to a new relationship with himself, with God. He gives us restored earthly relationships. He makes those relationships new. And then yet we have this amazing promise in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, the Old Testament prophet, that where he says that even God even restores the days and years. He says that the locusts have eaten. What he means is that the, the days and years that, that have been lost because of the effects of sin in our lives. Think about how incredible that is. I mean, absolutely amazing. God can not only renew a life and redeem not only its future, but the past as well. Let me ask, has God restored anything in your life? Has he? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, finally, chapter 17 ends with a new obedience on Abraham's part. He immediately went out and did what God told him to do, which is, which as every man in this room and those watching online would agree, was not an easy thing to do, okay? Chapter 17, verse 23, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abram's household, including those born in his household or bought with, from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Abraham's immediate, immediate obedience is outward evidence of his heart's intent to be blameless, of his wholehearted commitment, his whole hog commitment to God. You know, there's a wonderful verse in the Old Testament <clears throat> that tells how God responds to our wholehearted obedience. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. See, when you make the choice to obey, at that moment your knees may still be shaking a little bit. <laughs> you may not be quite so sure. But when you make the choice to obey, God's promise is that he will immediately, immediately give you all the support and encouragement that you need. I mean, how wonderful is that? He will strengthen your heart. So, just as Abraham, may we too be a people who are much more willing to immediately Obey, immediately obey. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and, and eyes closed, I want to invite not only those here in the room, but those of you who are watching online to take a moment, just a moment, to, to let us know how God 
is at work in your heart today? If you would send another text to that 97,000, one word, S-H-B-C, next, S-H-B-C-N-E-X-T, a form will pop up there that gives you the opportunity to, to let us know. It could be that the new thing that God is wanting to do in your life today is to bring you into his kingdom through our Lord Jesus Christ. That he wants to, to bring you to that place where you are now ready to commit your heart to Jesus. To recognize the, the circumcision of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Let us know, would you? Maybe that you came to know Jesus years ago. But that you have recently not been walking so close. Perhaps at a pretty great distance. And you're ready to acknowledge and allow him to make that relationship new once again, renewed, made fresh. Would you let us know that? It may be that you're ready to join a, a new fellowship of believers where you will walk alongside and serve him not only inside these walls but outside these walls as well let us know that if you're ready to join our church Father we thank you we thank you that Jesus makes all things is making all things new. And it's in his name that we pray and give you thanks. Amen.